Hello, and welcome back to Avatar, the podcast. I am Acorn Bandit. And I don't know who I am. Do you know, please? I think it starts with a B. Start with a maybe? B, and then it ends with something, a, something about rocket ships. It, I think it ends with a Ooster Greg after that. It goes B, <laughs> and then Ooster Greg. I think you got it. Hi, everyone. I'm back, and I remembered my name. <laughs> We're off to a good We're start. We're off to a great start. This episode, we will be talking about episode 20, Siege of the North, part two, or as we like to call it, Princess Moonanoke. I'm proud of us for that. I, I I'm proud love, of you. That, that was all one. you. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, before we dive into the episode, we are going to pull our fourth winner yes. of the Appa Pin giveaway. So excited. So excited. Who could it be? Who could it be? I got to find a new button to press because I don't want to hit my air conditioner again like I did last time. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. It's oh, still hot. <laughs> still, yeah. I'm ready with a button in hand. You found a button. It's, awesome. Yes. All right. And our fourth winner is... Jenny. Jenny. Jenny from Australia. Wow. Wow. In response to our question, who out of the cast of Avatar The Last Airbender would be the best cook and why? Jenny writes, Azula seems like the kind of perfectionist that would be pedantic about making great food. Great point. <laughs> See, I don't I don't know if Azula would be a great baker though. I think all of I feel like so I don't remember much about her other than I don't like her a lot. I feel like she would follow things too well and then you you know like when you're baking or you're making food you just put in a little extra something that even though the recipe doesn't call for it and yes. that's what makes it more delicious that i feel yes. like it would be like i too do precise. agree i think zhao would be the perfect baker because yeah. he has the required patience mm -hmm. where azula might be better at like i don't know let's say fire flakes or something that she would cook i can i can just imagine all of her cakes and everything are just bitter or slightly yes. sour <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They would be like too much flour, it'd yeah. be lopsided, yeah. it would deflate. It would be terrible. But I, I like to imagine she could make some maybe Fire Nation food like exceptionally well. Okay. I'll believe because that. of that perfectionist thing. So great point, Good. Jenny. Yeah. Also, congratulations. We will be messaging you soon via email to collect your shipping address so we can get your pin to you. Yes, congratulations. And remember, I know I say this in every one that I can think of, but if you have an Alpha pin out there in the wild and you are being safe and socially distant just take a picture of the pin or you in the pin or whatever whatever you feel comfortable doing i i think it's just great that we have all of these appas out there in the world appas out in the wild yeah. they're like oh they're like a little herd yeah got a herd a gaggle of i, I always just want to say gaggle when it's a group of things now. I, know. I don't know why <laughs> because this is a funny word that's why we got a whole herd of appas out there we have one more pin to give away, yes. which we're going to be doing next episode. Mm -hmm. And we'll have some more details about that at the end of this one. Also, just a reminder, we are going to be continuing our Angmail series mm -hmm. on YouTube. So if you haven't checked it out yet, head on over to YouTube and search for Avatar, the podcast. And we should be having another video up soon, yes. hopefully. So keep your eyeballs on that account for more Angmail videos in the future. Now it is time for the Siege of the North, part two. Yes. This episode was written by Aaron Ehas and directed by Dave Filoni. Well, there goes my streak of getting exclusively Dave Filoni episodes. <laughs> You're right. You've been getting them. <laughs> but also at the same time, it's very appropriate that he's ending out book one. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. The episode opens on the Northern Water Tribe as the siege continues. Fireballs arc through the air and strike the inner city. Katara, Sokka, Yue, and Momo stand in the spirit oasis just after Aang was taken by Zuko. Katara is upset that Aang was swiped right out from under her nose, but Sokka tells her that Zuko couldn't have gone far. They now have to do everything they can to get him back. They leave on Appa, but Momo stays behind. Not far away, we see Zuko trudging through the deep snow of the icy tundra surrounding the city, with Aang on his back. Aang is passed out because he's entered the spirit world. It's a mystical, swampy place dotted with trees. He stands up and begins wandering around. That's when he hears someone chanting Om, and he approaches a monkey-like creature who is sitting under a stone arch. I love this guy so much. (laughs) He's a jerk. I love him so much. He's just like a relatable jerk. Not like Han, who is just like a tool. This guy is He's a jerky jerk. (laughs) Yeah. This guy is just like wants to meditate and just wants to be left alone to his meditation. Yes. Aang asks the monkey creature for help in finding the moon and ocean spirits, but the being tells him to go away. When Aang doesn't budge, the creature chants more loudly. (laughs) Oh! A bright ball of light zips past, and the monkey tells Aang to go chase it because perhaps it will help him. Aang chases the ball of light across the swamp until he finally catches it, but when he does, the tree branch he's standing on shrivels and disappears, letting him fall into the water below. It's then the image of Roku appears in the water's reflection before him. In the tundra, Zuko steps on thin ice that begins to crack underneath him. He runs across the snow and tumbles onto firm ground. He spots a small rocky recess nearby and goes to it for shelter. Inside, he ties Aang's wrists behind his back. With that rope that he brought him, because he is always prepared. Mm -hmm. In the spirit world, Aang tells Roku that the Fire Nation is attacking and he needs to find the ocean and moon spirits for help. Roku's form manifests in front of Aang and he tells the young avatar the history of the two spirits he seeks. The ocean and the moon spirit are ancient spirits. They crossed over the spirit world to the mortal world very near the beginning. There is only one spirit I know of who is old enough to remember. Roku then tells Aang about a spirit named Ko, the face stealer. He warns Aang that when he speaks with the spirit, he must be very careful not to show any emotion, because if he does, the spirit will steal his face. Not his face. Anything but his face. Anything but his face. Oh, so do you think he would also take part of the arrow tattoo or no? Oh, that's a good question. Because that's technically on his face a little bit. Yeah, I think I want to say he would because it's I want to say he steals the likeness of people. Okay. And so when it's a face. Oh, actually here. Perfect. Ho wears a female no mask, which is a white mask with red lips and gray eye markings. Hmm. Um, and it's the face that Ko wears most often. I don't know if it comes from a literal mask or if it was from a, an, a no actor or actress who was wearing that face makeup. So if it was a person wearing makeup, then I would assume if Aang slipped up and showed emotion, Ko would steal his face as well as his arrow. Mm. But since he never really takes Aang's face, I guess we will never really know. I guess. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh, my gosh, I did not see that coming. And I should have because that's completely obvious. (laughs) Got it. Wow. Yes. 
As Sokka, Appa, Katara, and Yue desperately search for Aang through the snow, Zuko talks to Aang's body in the cave. Zuko tells him that there's always been something that prevents him from getting Aang home to his father. The way he struggles is unlike his sister, for whom everything comes easy. Aside from being a firebending prodigy, their father has always said she was lucky, while Zuko was lucky to be born. I don't need luck, Zuko says. I don't want it. I've always had to struggle and fight, and that's made me strong. It's made me who I am. So there we see a little bit behind the scenes for Zuko and his irrational hate towards the Avatar. It's because he's superimposing his father's view of Zuko being a failure and Azula being a success on Aang. He doesn't like anyone that's naturally good at things. If you don't have to work for it, he doesn't trust you. I think, well, aside from Zuko almost dehumanizing Aang because... In his mind, he's just an avatar. He's an item or a thing for him to acquire. I imagine if... I don't think he believes that, though. Yeah? After meeting the avatar, I think he's trying to put himself in that state of mind so that when he gives Aang to his father to restore his honor, it won't be as... It won't be painful for him. It won't be like a... It'll be an easier decision, let's say. Yeah. It won't be as much of a betrayal. Right, right. It wouldn't feel like murder. Yeah, that's interesting. It's reminding me of the blue spirit, actually, and the ending of the episode where Aang asks him, do you think we could have been friends in another time, in another place? And Zuko seems to really think about that. He spends time back in his bunk looking up at the, the flag of the Fire Nation and thinking about what Aang said. And here he's right back to wanting to capture the Avatar to, you know, achieve his goal and restore his honor and everything. But He does seem to mentally distance himself from Aang as a person. Mm. I think because of that, like you said, he's going to be turning him in, hopefully. And we know the Fire Lord's not going to do anything nice to Aang. Mm, So he's trying to keep his conscience in check. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he's trying to. He's trying because he views himself as right now, I think, a failure, but a good person nonetheless. And I think the good person aspect comes from Iroh. Yes. So he doesn't want to betray the teachings of his uncle either by giving up the avatar to his father yeah because he has integrity and that i think to a big extent comes from iroh yeah yeah and what he says about he's always had to struggle and fight that's what's made him strong it's what's made him who he is Mm. boy do we see this yeah at the end of this season oh yeah we cut back to the city where the siege is fully underway The inner wall is slowly broken apart by grappling hooks shot by the armed tanks. The troops march on the city as fireballs rain from the sky above. On their ship, Iroh advises Zhao on the timeliness of the attack, because if they don't defeat the water tribe before the full moon rises, they will be undefeatable. Zhao assures him that he has everything under control, because he intends to remove the moon as a factor. This alarms Iroh, and he asks how. At that moment, Han bursts through the door behind them and tells Zhao to prepare to meet his fate. I love this part. The young water tribe soldier runs at the both of them and is flipped over the side by Zhao, who then continues his conversation with Iroh. It's just like, so think of it from Han's point of view. This is it, boys. This is where, hold on, let me get my my Han voice. I don't remember what I did last time. and It wasn't even that long ago. It was something like he, he's looking at it like, all right, boys, let's go ahead. Remember, we're going to do this. We're going to do this for the princess. So I look better. Everyone got that? All right, charge. And then with a single motion, Zhao effortlessly 
just throws him back in the water. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I bet Han was like, today I'm going to save the day. Yes. <laughs> this is my moment. Can, can you imagine if Han was giving the history books speech to his men that Zhao gave to Iroh right before? Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, he really thought he was going to be a hero that yeah. day oh, in yeah. that moment. Yeah, he was not. Wasn't he wearing the... He was wearing the outdated uniform. Oh, my God. How did he get that far? Did Okay, silly headcanon. Yeah. What if the soldiers on the ship saw him and were like, oh, yeah, sir, go on through. And then to each other, <laughs> he's not going to get very far. Or like, so my headcanon isn't that funny, but my headcanon was like, Imagine you're a member of the Fire Nation Navy and you're low ranking and you see like a different like it looks authentic. Oh, true. But it's just different. Yeah. So you would assume that they are higher ranking or maybe like a special black ops, whatever, just like not within your your realm of knowledge. So you don't yeah. need to know. So that's why they kind of were able to get through. It's lucky, but I think that's what would be it. I like that. Specifically because, like we talked about in the last episode, we saw that first ship of Fire Nation help. I'll call them help because we talked about how they were probably hired hands. Right, yeah. So there's probably a lot of that going on in this invasion force. And maybe, to your point, the people on the ship were like, oh, yeah, this person is wearing like an off-brand Fire Nation uniform, but he's probably someone that they hired. So he's just wearing stuff that looks similar. Or, Or even yet. They are not officially Fire Nation troops, but they are going through that. So they're not giving them the most recent armor. They, oh, or, true. Or they ran out of armor. Yeah. Or they're just using yeah. older armor. It could be literally any of these things. Oh, my gosh. I love it. It doesn't even matter, though, because no. Zhao was like barely thinking. Yeah. was just like, who is this? Okay, bye. I, I <laughs> anyway, like I was saying. I would have loved if there was just a brief mention where Zhao was like, what's up with the shoulder pads? Like, just notices it on the way down. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) But after he flips Han over Mm -hmm. the the railing, Zhao tells Iroh that years ago when he was a young lieutenant, he uncovered the physical form of the moon spirit in an underground library in the Earth Kingdom. After finding this information, Zhao believed it was his destiny to kill the moon spirit. Iroh sternly tells the Admiral that the spirits are not to be trifled with. But Zhao brushes off his words, telling Iroh he knows he fears the spirits, especially after hearing Iroh has been to the spirit world himself. Okay, now Mm -hmm. if we think back, Mm -hmm. remember that one moment when he was on the back of the ostrich horse in cuffs because he had been captured by the Earth Kingdom soldiers. It was being carted to Ba Sing Se, I think. He saw Roku's dragon and and Aang fly by in spirit form. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to remember something that you were just always thinking about? What do you mean? Because that's where I'm at. I can't remember that because it's just always in my brain every time I see Iroh where it's just like, yeah, he could see spirits because he he was there. He went to the spirit world somehow. Somehow, some way. Yeah. We still don't quite know why, nope. but this is another reference to it, which I love. And it's interesting, too, that it's common knowledge enough for other ranking officials in the Fire Nation army to know. Like somehow Zhao heard about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know you're you're frightened or you're afraid of the spirits because of your time in the spirit world. Yeah. Well, I think it's part of the the myth of the what is he? The dragon from the east. Is that what they call him? 
The Great Dragon the, of the West. The Great Dragon of the West. So it's part of that mythology, right? Where he's the great dragon from the West has been to the spirit world. He went up to the the gates of the walls of Ba Sing Se and put up an admiral fight, but like, you know, ultimately didn't conquer. But I think it's part of it. And I think Zhao is almost teasing him at that point. He's saying, like, I don't believe any of this mumbo jumbo. Well, I don't know, because Zhao believes in spirits. Obviously, his plan he's concocted is oh, to go kill the physical right. form yeah. of the spirits. So I almost think that Zhao believes himself to be stronger than the spirits, that he can conquer them or vanquish them. And he looks down on Iroh for being like too emotional about it. Or, or maybe he doesn't believe that Iroh actually went to the spirit world. Possibly. Because in, in that train of thought, I... I would assume Zhao thinks that he's better than Iroh, period. So with that being said, yeah. why would Iroh be able to go to the spirit wor- world where Zhao hasn't yet? Yeah. So you think he could be humoring Iroh being like, yeah, yeah, I heard you yes. went to the spirit world. Yeah, I don't exactly. believe you, but maybe. Yeah, that's a possibility too. Zhao tells Iroh that the spirits gave up their mortality to join our world, which means they will face the consequences. In the spirit world, Aang travels to the resting place of Ko a giant gnarled leafless tree in the middle of a misty landscape. Before going inside, he sees a curly-tailed blue-nosed monkey that turns out to be missing a face. Oh, no. That was really startling. I specifically remember that freaking me out when I was younger and watching the show for the first time. Not me. Takes more to rattle me than that. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right, tough guy. (laughs) This monkey spooks him, and Aang takes a moment to school his face as Roku advised him. With a calm expression, he enters the tree and follows a long staircase down into the darkness. The long centipede-like body of Ko comes out of the darkness and welcomes Aang as his old friend, the Avatar. Ko tells Aang that one of Aang's previous incarnations tried to slay him for stealing the face of someone they loved. The spirit reveals the face of a sad woman with long brunette hair before suddenly transforming into the face of a laughing baboon. Of course, that's all behind us, Ko says. Why should I hold a grudge against you for something in a past life? After all, you're a different person now. You've come to me with a new face. So real quick, because uh, I did the casting late last time, I want to make sure I get this is the only casting note in this whole episode because everything everyone's reoccurring characters. OK, um, Ko is voiced by Eric Dellums, who is Aravos from the Dragon Prince. I haven't oh, seen it yet, but really? I know you have. So I thought you would find that very interesting. I do. Also, uh nazir from skyrim and fallout oh. 3 he was three dog which was if i remember correctly okay. the uh dj that was out there in the wasteland and he was also in the wire hbo's the wire as dr randall frazier interesting those are some big roles yeah so it's it's like i would never have thought like like I'm, dragon prince makes sense to me because like you know it's uh it's D Martino on both. Yes. But what was interesting to me was the wire. I was like, whoa, that's a while ago. Good for you. And it was like it felt like I haven't finished the wire, but I feel like it was like a recurring character because it looked like it was multiple episodes. So Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I haven't watched The Wire myself either. Yeah. Everyone likes it, but I can't get through it. So mm. that's okay. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. So on the topic of Ko, Ko the Face Dealer is one of the most ancient and knowledgeable spirits in all of the spirit world. He is a malevolent entity with the body of an enormous centipede-like creature. And as we see here, he resides under an ancient tree. 
His self-chosen name reflects his ability to literally steal the faces of other beings who express emotion and use them at will by almost blinking his face. That's creepy. It's super creepy. And props to the the writers and the animators and designers because, mm-hmm. holy crap, a centipede, a long, stringy, centipede, clicky type creature with a blinking face with many faces in a dark tree in the middle of nowhere in the spirit world. Like... Props for being creepy. Yeah, really? Like terrifying. Mm-hmm. To go even further, Ko was born to the mother of faces thousands of years ago before the Hundred Year War. Over time, he increasingly interacted with the human world and started to carry out punishments against perceived wrongdoers as well as answer questions to those mortals brave enough to face him. The latter behavior resulted in some discontent among more ancient spirits, such as Father Glowworm, who believed that Ko set a bad example by allowing any human to approach him. Hmm. This is our first hint, maybe not our first, but this is a hint to the big world of spirits that we're going to continue to to investigate and learn more about, not only through the rest of Avatar, the Avatar world, but also Korra. So I'm going to leave it there because Ko is going to make another appearance, a couple more appearances actually later on. Yes. But what do you think, Greg? Nightmare fuel? I mean, not for me, because I'm super tough and I don't, I don't shit easily. But <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, you know, for people who are are not as tough and and brave as me. Uh huh. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, I believe it's also at this point where Aang takes a breath in the spirit world, which is very small. It's when he's looking at Ko, but then it cuts to his body in the cave, and he takes a big breath, one that Zuko notices and looks over at. I loved that because to me, I interpreted that as Aang being scared out of his wits and taking a calming breath in the spirit world. But it translated to his like body taking a big gulp of air being like, got to focus, got to calm down. And it's the first time we see any kind of like correlation to between his physical body and what's happening in the spirit world. See, I read that as he was centering himself. And in order to do that, you have to center your body and your soul, not out of fear, Ah. but just as like a discipline. So like he was, yeah, I like that. So similar thoughts, just like slightly different. Yes. And I know I like yours because I know he's scared. He's obviously scared, but I like the centering breath concept because as an airbender, I'm sure he's used to doing Mm. that in his practice too. Back on Appa, Yue tells Katara not to worry because Zuko can't get far in this weather. It's not them getting far that has Katara worried, she says. It's them not getting out at all. Sokka says that if they've learned anything about Zuko, it's that he never gives up. They'll be just fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it'll be okay. It'll all work itself out. Zuko's relentless. Yeah. They'll be fine. (laughs) Back in Ko's tree, the spirit is taunting Aang about how long it's been since he added a child space to his collection. He finally asks how he can help. Aang tells him that he's looking for the moon and ocean spirits to get their help. Ko tells him that their names are Twi and La, Push and Pull. And it's his help that the spirits need. Ho whips back around mm. with a demonic face in an attempt to startle Aang, saying at the same time that someone is going to kill the spirits. When Aang asks how he can find them, Ko says he's already met the spirits. As he describes the nature of their balance, Aang realizes Ko is referring to the koi fish in the spirit oasis. Ko quickly turns around at the sound of Aang's elation, only to find the young avatar's face calm and neutral as it's been the whole visit. Aang tells the spirit he must be going now, to which Ko replies, we'll meet again. So real quick, two things. 
one that demonic face was super reminiscent for me of the blue spirit which is really cool definitely number two ang's version of acting emotionless is to act bored which is also kind of an emotion so i feel like ko could have just taken his face at any point during that situation because he wasn't straight face he was very much he had like an emotion like he had a different facial expression other than just blank because being blank is different than being bored i think what's making you believe it's more boredom than neutral is his eyes were very relaxed yes that was hun- and so they were drooped down yeah. and that's kind of more on the boredom side of the spectrum but that's a good point i wonder if boredom if you were to freeze frame boredom would it be an emotion to co because i feel like boredom can come with like sighing rolling your eyes you know some eyebrows but so is it ko's perception of an emotion or is it actual emotion that's That's a great question you know who would be great against ko who zhao (laughs) i feel like zhao would hold his own if he knew what the game was i feel like the only way he would lose is if he like knew he was winning and then smirked like he does yes that's the only way like that one scene with Ira when they're having tea yeah. and Ira's like pirates. <laughs> they're the ones he's like, yes, pirates that I definitely didn't hire. Well, it's interesting that you say Zhao might be a good contender for Ko because Zhao may or may not find his way <sighs> into the vicinity of Ko uh, in the future. I want to see it. I don't know if I'll see it, but I want to see it. Once outside, Aang rushes to the reflection of Roku on the ground. Roku tells him that a friend is here to guide him back to the physical world. At this, we see the reflection of Heibai. Aang turns around to see the large panda bear. He hops on his back and off they run. Heibai, our friend. Heibai. And it's his panda form too, his cute fluffy panda form that we see at the end of the episode. Yeah. Well, I love how he transforms back and forth. So yes. Like, yes, he does. Doesn't the monkey say something <laughs> like very like monkey-ish? Or we're, we're got, yeah. Good yeah, riddance. he says good riddance. And hey, bye, <laughs> just turns back into Moss Farm and just like Godzilla breaths him. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah, it's so good. The sun has set over the Northern Water Tribe and with it rise the powers of its waterbenders. Soldiers across the city begin to push back the Fire Nation, including Master Paku, who takes on a dozen soldiers himself by using a water spout to hold himself in the air as he fends off their attacks. Some distance away, Zhao sits on a Komodo rhino with a map in his hands. We'll be following this map to a very special location, he says. And when we get there, we're going fishing. I mean, it's not that special. Zuko found it in like five minutes. No effort, (laughs) it seems. It's not super hidden, dude. I don't think you need that mask or that map, but okay. Yeah. Can we talk about how badass Paku is? Yes. Like, not only has he like turned around his like train of thought or anything, but he is like a super capable bender. And like, obviously, he's a master at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember reading that he became a master very early in life and was kind of renowned for being an excellent bender. And so, I mean, with that, we also see his place of honor mm. in the palace, right? Because mm. usually, so he was the one who um, was entertainment, of course, during the banquet. But then in the future episodes, he was kind of at the right hand of the chief. Yeah. So I think with being the master waterbender or the resident master waterbender of the Northern Water Tribe, there comes some. I guess some special positioning and some special privileges. Yeah. Some special privileges and an honorable position. No one tell Zuko that he was naturally gifted at a young age. Yes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But oh man, that water spout, 
That's amazing. Yeah. It was so cool to watch that. In the spirit world, Haibai brings Aang to the portal back to the physical world. The giant panda opens the portal for Aang and Aang is transported. When the meditating monkey creature from earlier says good riddance, Haibai shifts into his monstrous form and screeches at him. That's it. That's my favorite part right there. It's so good. <laughs> Don't talk to my friend that way. <laughs> Aang returns to the spirit oasis and greets Momo, but quickly realizes his body is missing and Momo can't see him. Aang flies into the air and across the tundra in search of it, finally landing in the cave where Zuko and his body are hiding. Katara sees this light and the group fly in that direction. Aang wakes up in his body and is greeted by Zuko, who calmly tells him, welcome back. Mm. I love that. (laughs) He's not surprised. He knew it was going to happen eventually. And so he's like, all right, welcome back. And he was preparing for it. He got them all tied up and everything. Yeah, true. Also, Aang's got a lot better at traversing the spirit world and also the, the right? physical world in his spirit form because the last time we saw him do that, he had to ride on Fang to get to where he needed to go quickly. And this one, he's just like zipping around. That's a great mm. point. Yeah. So he obviously learned something. Yeah. Learned a thing or yeah. two, I should say. A thing or two about a thing or two. Yes, he has. <laughs> Aang uses his airbending breath to launch his tied-up body out of the cave and into the snow. Zuko follows him and tells him that won't be enough to escape. But at that moment, Appa and company land and Katara quickly slides off. Zuko asks if she's there for a rematch, to which she replies, Trust me, Zuko, it's not going to be much of a match. Zuko sends a blast of fire her way, but she quickly blocks it and uses waterbending to launch Zuko into the air before plummeting him down to the ground, knocking him out. Sokka runs over to free Aang from his bonds and makes a comment about it being some quality rope. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. This is some quality rope we got here. And he holds it up like, I think I'm going to keep this. Yeah. (laughs) Aang tells them they have to get back to the Oasis because the spirits are in trouble. Before they leave, however, Aang decides they should bring Zuko along with them. And Sokka, in his infinite wisdom, is like, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, but Aang's not going to leave him behind, especially when Zuko didn't leave him, him behind. No, 100%. And I think that's exactly why he did it, because he knew Zuko saved him when he was in a similar situation. Back at the Spirit Oasis, Zhao has arrived. He scoops the white koi fish, Tui, the embodiment of the moon spirit, into a bag and the moon bleeds red in the sky, casting a red light across the North Pole. All around the city, waterbenders lose their ability to bend and the Fire Nation is able to overtake them. In the sky, Yue grips her head and says she feels faint. She explains that she owes the moon spirit her life because when she was born, she was very weak and appeared like she was sleeping. Their healers did everything they could but could not revive her. So Yue's father brought her to the spirit oasis and placed her in the spirit pond. The moon spirit answered his prayers and Yue's black hair turned snow white and she began to cry. This is why her mother named her Yue for the moon. Which we talked about last episode. Yeah. You shared that Yue is the Chinese word for moon. Yeah. yeah. And real quick too, the um the commentary from the waterbending master, they said that I think it was Aaron E has came up with the idea of having Yue have white hair and he was adamant about it. Like he wouldn't consider any other variation yes. of that. Um and Mike and Brian were like, Well, he no, he's not very forceful to begin with. So when he has an idea like that and he's forceful about it, then we just go along with it. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I have I have something else to share about the UA yeah. moon connection, connection, yeah. but later. Okay. Yeah. Zhao is victorious under the blood red moon. 
The Fire Nation will, for generations, tell stories about the great Zhao who darkened the moon. They will call me Zhao the Conqueror, Zhao the Moonslayer, Zhao the Invincible. Get it off. Momo leaps onto Zhao's head, signaling the return of the Avatar and his friends. The two sides square off around the pond, but Zhao tells them not to bother. It's his destiny to destroy the moon and the water tribe. Destroying the moon will hurt everyone, Aang tells him, including Zhao. Without the moon, everything will fall out of balance and unleash chaos onto the world. He's right, agrees a voice. Iroh has arrived in the spirit oasis. He affirms that everything in the world depends on the balance and whatever Zhao does to the spirit, he will unleash on Zhao tenfold. Good for you, Iroh. I love that. Oh, I love that moment. This is one of the few times we see Iroh really heated up by something. Mm-hmm. Do we do we consider that a pun? Was that a pun? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna consult the judges real quick. Yeah, yeah, we'll count that. That's a pun. Yay! That's, a, that's a ten out of ten from everyone except for the picky judge, where it's a nine out of ten. Oh, close. <laughs> <laughs> but really, though, like, oh man, the intensity is so yeah. good. Zhao seems to listen to reason and kneels down to return Twee back to the spirit pond. But his face contorts in anger and he strikes the white koi with a blast of fire. The milky moonlight fades from the sky and the landscape descends into gray. Iroh leaps at Zhao, unleashing vicious fire attacks that the Admiral has to defend against. The fire soldiers accompanying Zhao attack Iroh, allowing Zhao to slip off to the side. He looks frightened and unsure of current events and flees the spirit oasis. As all of this is happening, Team Avatar is not aware that Zuko has slipped from his bonds and has disappeared from Appa. So crafty, that Zuko. So crafty. So crafty. Mm-hmm. Also, I think this moment really speaks to what we talked about in the last episode about how Zhao lets his anger get the best of him when he's in the middle of something, in some, in some sort of action. Yeah, for sure. And another note here, I love how, I just love the visual impact of the white light of the moon being replaced with like a grayscale yeah. in the landscape. Because when you think about it, you think, okay, nighttime, moon. Yeah, everything's black and white and gray, but it's not really because there's lots of blue mm-hmm. tones in there. And you don't notice until the moonlight is faded completely and you're and you're replaced with literal blacks and whites and grays. Yeah. Except, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm about to go say? for her go eyes because I noticed that immediately. I was like, everyone, whoa, her eyes are really blue. Yeah, Yue's eyes are the only bit of color that's left aside from the fire yeah 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 because it's showing or indicating that she still has the life force of twee inside Mm. of her i think it's also more obvious because if i remember correctly that shot is next to sokka and sokka's eyes are just completely gray whereas hers yeah Yeah, there you go so i think that's what also helped it really stand out definitely the small group gathers around the spirit pond and iroh holds the lifeless body of the moon spirit Yue says through her tears, there's no hope now, it's over. Aang's arrow and eyes begin to glow and the collective voices of all his previous incarnations speak through him. No, it's not over. He walks into the pond and stands in a meditative stance before the spirit La. The eyes and markings of the black koi begin to glow as well and Aang slides under the water. Lines of energy extend from the pond and the water begins to glow, taking form as a giant koi spirit. Glowing with the blue light of the Avatar, the towering figure moves through the city, passing the Water Tribe citizens and attacking Fire Nation soldiers. There it is. There it, there is. it is. The most 
one of the most epic scenes since like Avatar Roku bending magma. I I agree, but I don't want to agree. But that I can't tell if that's because I don't actually agree or if it's because I just like to argue a little bit from time to time. <laughs> uh-huh. I think I just like to stir the pot sometimes. No, yeah, I mean, like it's a giant kaiju going through the city, which we haven't really seen. Yeah, basically. the closest that we've seen was Heibai. Yeah, which wasn't all that impressive. That's true. It was fine, but it wasn't all that impressive. Not like this, where it's like glowing, like, like it's like nuclear blue is the way I would describe it. It's like glowing yeah. blue aura just going through just like complete darkness. So cool. Yep. It's so cool. And I'm realizing now after saying that, like, I just I just might have a thing with the Avatar state. Yeah. It just might be my favorite thing because the last time he went to the Avatar state and did something amazing was in Winter Solstice Part 2 yep. when Avatar Roku appeared and worked through him to to decimate the Crescent Island temple. Yeah. I, like the avatar state for me is almost like when you're a little kid playing video games and you can't beat a level. So you just give the controller to like your older sibling or parent <laughs> so they can beat the level <laughs> for you. That's absolutely what it is. Ang is like, I can't do this. And you just like, Ro- uh, Roku just kind of takes over. <laughs> He's like, all right, give me, give me the controller. <laughs> I can do this. I mean, you're not wrong, but also visually, it's, visually it's just cool. like, it's so well done. Like, especially the part where the energy extends from the ponds and like these um, lines. It kind of reminds me of Atlantis, yeah. the animated movie Atlantis. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox was in there? He was Milo, if I'm not mistaken. No, I'm pretty really? Sure. Let me look it up now, so I'm not. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Michael J. Fox is the voice of Milo. Corey Burton is the voice of Moliere. Corey Burton's a big name. James Gardner was Rourke. Leonard Nimoy was the king. Oh my God. Phil Morris, who you'll remember as if you watch Seinfeld, he was the lawyer in Seinfeld. He's also in a bunch of other things. Goes to show again how much Acorn cares about voice acting mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. freaking Michael J. Fox is the voice of Milo. And I had no idea. That was, yeah, that's always the big, the big draw for me for Disney movies is like the voice actors and who they get. Love Atlantis. Sorry for derailing <laughs> the conversation there, listeners, but I love good, that movie. So movie. if you haven't seen it, go, go so watch. Good. Yeah. Every so often, I'll return back to mm-hmm. it and, and watch it for, for fun. Yeah. Oh, also, before we move on, though, there's definitely a visual resemblance between Aang as the ocean spirit slash koi spirit and the Nightwalker from Hayao Miyazaki's movie, Princess Mononoke, which yeah. we did make our reference mm-hmm. to at the start of the, the episode, Princess Mononoke. I love, I love that so much. That's going to be, that'll just be on my, my tombstone. That, that one. Yes, there you That's go. That's a great one. <laughs> and of course, Michael and Brian have professed their fandom love of Hayao Miyazaki in many interviews. So there are definitely some elements to Miyazaki's works found in Avatar. And this could be one of them. Oh, for sure. I might watch that movie tonight. No, I, really, I really want to watch it again. That's a great movie. I'm so excited. It's, oh my God. So it, it's hard to fathom a world where there are people who have not seen Hayao Miyazaki's movies. Yeah. And so if you are listening to this episode of Avatar the Podcast and you are one of these people, please, I implore you, go watch some Studio Ghibli movies. Mm. I would recommend starting with either Howl's Moving Castle or Spirited Away. I was going to say Howl's Moving Castle. That's the only one that I remember most of. I'll be honest with you. But I remember it also because Christian Bale does the American dub or the English dub. Yes, for he Howell. does. <laughs> yes, he does a good job, does, too. Yeah. I can't really tell it's Christian Bale, except for very specific oh, moments. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, those are my two favorites. So How's Moving Castle or Spirited yeah. Away. And then actually, so after you watch those two, then you can graduate to Princess Mononoke, which is a kind of feudal Japan mm-hmm. 
type of story. It's great, but it's a little more like based in folklore. So we cut to Zhao, who is fleeing through the grayscale world that the city has become. A blast of fire cuts him off and he turns to find Zuko. You're alive, he exclaims. You tried to have me killed, Zuko yells back. Zhao identifies him as the blue spirit and an enemy of the Fire Nation, as well as the person who freed the Avatar. Zhao calls him a disgrace, saying Zuko should have accepted his failure. At least then, he could have lived. With these words, they begin to fight. Mm -hmm. In the spirit oasis, Iroh places the lifeless body of the Koi back into the water. They mourn the loss of the spirit for a moment, until Iroh notices Yue's white hair. He also senses a trace of the moon spirit within her and tells her that some of its life force still remains. She agrees and tells him that he gave her life, so maybe she can give it back. Sokka immediately protests and tells her she can't, but she responds that it's her duty. She has to do this. She slips out of his grasp and places her hands over the body of the fish. With one last exhale, she falls into Sokka's arms. He sadly tells the others that she's gone. Her body disappears, and the body of Twee's fish form begins to glow with life. Then, the spirit form of Yue appears before them over the pond. She tells Sokka goodbye, and that she'll always be with him. They share a kiss, and then she becomes the moon. If there is one way to make sure that you have a couple that that gets shipped by your fandom, just kill one of them off. Oh, absolutely. You're cheating. 100%. You're cheating with this. Brian, Michael, you're cheating with this fish. This <laughs> fishing, jeez, the shipping. And I don't appreciate it. Just pulling our heartstrings. I know. It's not fair. I did. So even though I'm very obviously a Suki Saka shipper, I always want to say fisher now because all we're talking about is fish. Yep. This did make <laughs> me feel like really, like it really did pull up my heart. And I was just like, oh man, but they could have. And then I snapped out of it. And I was like, no, because clearly they're just saying with this death that the real relationship is with Suki and Sokka. <laughs> yes. So earlier you shared that Yue means moon in Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yue's appearance as a moon spirit here is also very similar to that of Cheng Yi. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, who is the goddess of the moon in Chinese mythology, mm. which I thought was super cool and could be the reason why Aaron was like, no, she has to have white hair. Yeah. It has to be this yeah. way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And this will also probably make you happy, Greg. Mm -hmm. Suki is the Japanese word for moon, similar to how Yue is the Mandarin word for moon. And both are written with the same character. You know what they say about Sokka, right? He's into moons. He's a man of many moons. It's becoming obvious that he is. I kind of hope that he falls for someone else. And then the line is, that's no moon. Because then that's a Star Wars. (laughs) Oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) gotta have multiple Mm -hmm. star wars references in this podcast it's obvious wow anyway ang as the spirit koi reaches the fire nation fleet in the ocean outside the city and pushes some ships back while cutting others into pieces then with one powerful water bending move he pushes the rest back out into the ocean when the moon reappears in the night sky ang is released from his spirit form and is placed on a broken piece of the city's wall The spirit water then travels into the city and finds Zhao on a bridge where he's fighting with Zuko and seizes him. Zuko tries to grab Zhao's hand and help save him, but Zhao takes his hand back and stares at the young prince in defiance. The spirit water pulls the admiral under the water, never to be seen again. Or do we? 
if Zhao wasn't such a villain, I wouldn't say that would be in defiance, but rather he realized that it would take Zuko with him. But he's not that kind of guy. Nope. No, he's not. <laughs> I absolutely read that as defiance. Like, no, you don't get to help save my life. I, I, I more viewed it as a, I'd rather die than be saved by you. You're such a disgrace. Yes, that. Yep. Yeah. Ouch. Mm-hmm. It is at this point that I need to share something that I came across years and years ago when I was watching Avatar for maybe the second or third time. Hmm. I'm looking back at it now. It was put online in 2007, if that gives you any indication. But it is a really, really fun trip down a fandom rabbit hole. So if you like comics, if you like Zhao. I like both these things. Please stop stalling. Tell me now. (laughs) Yeah. I highly recommend a comic by Rough Tune on DeviantArt called Zhao Water Tribe. Oh, man. I'm typing it right now. And I'm realizing now, I think it has a proper name. I have just forgotten it. I literally found it by tri- by typing that into Google. Good. Yeah, there you go. It's like the first thing. So just so everyone knows, if you type in Zhao Water Tribe comic, it will come up in the A, not only as a suggested thing, but B, for me, it was the first link. Yes. Rough Tune is an amazing artist who I followed for quite some time, who did a ton of Avatar comics, Avatar fan art. And all of that stuff. And obviously an alternate universe Mm. comic where, let me give you the premise real real quick. In this offshoot world, Zhao wakes up after this episode and has lost his memory. And so he assimilates into the water tribe culture. And it's so good. And there's new characters and and all this stuff. And if you want to know how nerdy I am, way back when I had an internship at an art studio and I got permission to print out a comic And I like formatted it specifically so it would be alternating pages front and back, folded everything and had every intention of binding it into my own book. And I just never did. It's still on my shelf. Actually, that's awesome. Take a picture of it. But it's such a good comic. I highly recommend it. Can't wait to read it. I'm so excited. Oh, you know what? I'll break it out again, too. I'll read it with you and anyone else who's listening who wants to read it along with us. Getting back to our episode, though, as I've mentioned or as we've kind of hinted at, Zhao did not perish here. And while he didn't wake up with amnesia and assimilate into waterbending culture, he did end up in the spirit world, forced to spend eternity in a place known as the Fog of Lost Souls. We are going to be seeing him again in Legend of Korra. You have to wait that long? Yes, <sighs> unfortunately. I hate it too. I wonder I wonder if they got Jason Isaac to resume the role. We'll have to, find, we'll have to wait. I'm not even going to look that up now. I'm just going to wait. Yeah, let's yeah. wait. Bookmark it, brain. The next morning, Team Avatar and Paku stand overlooking the aftermath. Paku says he's decided to go to the South Pole, and some of the other benders and healers want to join him. They will go together and build up their sister tribe. When Katara asks about Aang and his waterbending training, Paku tells her she better get used to him calling her Master Katara. Nearby, Chief Arnuk tells Sokka that the spirits gave him a vision of Yue when she was born, where she appeared as a beautiful young woman becoming the moon. He knew this day would come and he is so proud, but also so sad. Oh, I love that. I know. Out on the water, Iroh tells Zuko that he is surprised he's not trying to capture the Avatar. When Zuko tells him he's tired, Iroh replies that he should rest because a man needs his rest. It's true. I stay up until three o'clock in the morning on technically Saturday morning and I still haven't recovered. Nope. No. Older you get, the more rest you need. Can confirm. A man needs his rest. (laughs) Back in the city, Aang and Katara embrace. 
glad that they were able to put the battle for the Northern Water Tribe behind them. Momo jumps onto Aang's shoulder and Appa flies into view. Team Avatar is victorious and lives to see another adventure. In the Fire Nation, the Fire Lord has summoned a young Fire Nation girl before his throne of flames. Iroh is a traitor and your brother Zuko is a failure. I have a task for you. The young girl lifts her head and we discover that it's Azula, Zuko's sister, the firebending prodigy, and also Team Avatar's next threat. Bum, bum, bum. And that <laughs> is the end of book one. Jeez, I never thought we'd be here. You, you don't sound very excited. I'm very tired. Like I said, I still haven't recovered from being up at three o'clock in, <laughs> until three o'clock in the morning. I very fair. I like I'm so excited for book two. I know I don't sound it very much, but I'm genuinely like, I cannot wait to like dive into it and just really like, I know me too. meet Toph again, see all the things that I forgot because there's so many things that I forgot in book one from my first watch through. And it's just like the way like I'm going through this whole series and specifically more book one is I remember the high points and the very like baseline. Like if I were to outline, I could outline successfully the whole book one. But it's the finer things that I forgot about. Like Jet, I kind of forgot about until you were like, oh, yeah, next episode is Jet. And I was like, I remember that. Like just that name just like triggered it. So it's like unlocking little bits of like your past through this whole story, which is really cool. I have a couple quick things um, of trivia while while we're kind of finishing up. Let's do it. So this never dawned on me before, but we all know Mark Hamill does the voice of the Fire Lord, of Fire Lord Ozai. Yes. And Victor Brandt does the voice of Paku. Uh-huh. Both Mark Hamill and Victor Brandt were in Metalocalypse together as both the opposing force against the main metal band. Oh, I, that's I cool. just forgot that Mark Hamill was in that car. I haven't seen that cartoon in a very long time, but I just forgot. And then this scene where he's just like, I have a plan for you, my daughter, is very similar to the voice that he does in metalocalypse so that was really cool okay um another thing is this is the first episode in which we see multiple deaths yeah. which is really interesting and it never like i think that also makes it so that much more impactful where it's like why yes. does this feel so it's high stakes yes, now. exactly it it's it's gone from like little kid playtime into like real world grown-up life or death situations yeah yeah so to count those off it was we getting killed by Zhao. Mm-hmm. Yue sacrifices herself to restore Twee's life force and bring the moon mm-hmm. back. And then Zhao uh, gets sucked underwater and into the spirit world we found by by the moon spirit, yep. right? and I'm counting that as a death because... Or ocean, ocean spirit, spirit, sorry. Ocean spirit. Ocean but spirit. But I'm counting that as a death, even though some people may or may not, but that's a death in my book because if your body is separated from your spirit and you can't get back, then what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. Um, what was... Uh, yeah, so I think did I have one more? Oh, this is the this is Azula's second appearance in the main continuity of this series. Yes. Technically, this would be her third appearance if we choose everything cuz not only is she the firebender or is she she's in the intro credits, I believe, right? Yeah. Um she we, Yeah, she's the intro she's firebender. Intro firebender. She's also in the storm. We saw her for that brief moment. And now we're seeing her in this episode. During the Agni Kai when she's in the audience, Yes, right? the Agni Kai against Zuko and his father, more specifically, where Iroh yes. can't even look. And both her and Zhao are kind of looking on and kind of happy about it. 
Yes. She had that smirk. I'll never forget that smirk. Ugh, yeah. Terrible, terrible sister. The I love watching my brother suffer yep. smirk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's all that I had. Awesome. Well, that was a great two-part episode. And we we hope you like our release schedule for these <laughs> for this two. one. <laughs> all right, Greg, mm-hmm. yeah. who is your MVP? I have no idea. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think my MVP is going to be Iroh in this one for like yeah he really stepped up when Zhao was like this is my plan and i don't think iroh thought he was gonna get that close to his plan or succeed and so when he did he really like he finally took action yes we don't see iroh take action a lot in book one if at all no we don't he's usually the the wise advice the person who's kind of lightly guiding yeah i mean the only time we've we've seen him do anything was in the spirit world part two I believe, or maybe it was part one. It was one of those where he gets kidnapped by the Earth Kingdom and he has to get his fight oh, his yes. way out. Oh, uh, yes. Winter Solstice. Winter Solstice. Part yes, two. thank you. Yeah. So um, Winter Solstice part two, he had to fight his way out. So that's the only other time that I can think of where we saw him really do anything other than be Zuko's che- cheerleader. Yes. So Yeah, I agree. And you know what? I, I got to go with Iroh too, yep. especially since it's the last episode and he did so much. So to kind of recap a little bit, he went from hatching a plan with Zuko mm-hmm. to get him into the Northern Water Tribe. Mm-hmm. He actively stayed as Zhao's right-hand advisor, war advisor, mm-hmm. and not only gave advice and tried to get Zhao to listen to reason when he realized just the insanity that Zhao was planning yeah. on by killing the spirit, but then he, when when words didn't work, he took action, yeah. like you said. And he, oh my gosh, that scene when he said, I will unleash what you do to that spirit on you tenfold. You felt it. You yeah. felt it. It was a split second yeah. after the deed was done. And he was unleashing a volley of firebending on Zhao. And Zhao had to actively like defend himself. And the soldiers kind of jumped in and helped. Yeah. Um, but man, yeah, he was a man of action. And he was, you can also feel like, Iroh's moral compass in this episode too. Oh yeah, yeah. His moral compass, but then also his respect for the spirit world and the forces that act outside of the humans in the story. Yeah, for sure. What about your moral moral of the story? Can it just be don't piss off Iroh? <laughs> <laughs> I would accept He's that. intimidating. <laughs> Jeez, that was like, yeah, I could just, that whole thing I just can't get out of my head. Uh, um, moral of the episode... The way in which Arnook very gracefully kind of accepted the fate of his daughter, like it just stood with me. Like it, it's like still, I'm still really thinking about it. He's sad, but he's not like outraged because he kind of knew it was coming. So I think it's like in order to like be a great leader, you have to be able to sacrifice something. Yeah, that's a great point because I mean, he knew for years for basically UA's whole life that something like this was going to happen. So I think to some extent he can emotionally prepare himself for it but it's also noteworthy to say that that didn't affect his love for his daughter that didn't limit him he didn't try to change that fate either and that yes like that's a big trope where you know what's going to happen so you try to change it you literally oh my god you literally go against the flow of destiny to try to change it and he doesn't because he's a waterbender so he just goes with the flow he literally like that's that's what they do Yes. Jeez. Go with the flow of destiny. Yeah, that's it. Is that's that our, it. our moral that, of the story? The, we took the long road to get there, but we got there. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. agree. I'm going to jump in that boat and go down the river with you. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, that 
is all the time we have for today's episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, Team Avatar. We've done it. We've gotten to the end of book one. So speaking to what, what our plans are going forward, Greg and I are going to be doing a recap of book one. So you can expect that to come out next week. We're going to be talking about our MVPs of book one. What is the overall lesson to be learned and much more. Yeah. And just so everyone is aware as well, after that episode, we will be taking a short break. I know, I know, I know no one likes the break, but we're going to use that time to really kind of prepare for book two. Um, we are still going to be checking the Ang mailbox, the messenger hawk, all of that while it's going on, the Twitter account, obviously. So, so please continue to write in, continue to give those five-star reviews, continue to tell your friends. Yes. We got a bunch of Ang mail that said that they were telling their friends do so. We encourage it, please. And we will be posting uh, the Ang mail series on the YouTube page as this break goes on. It won't be too long. Yes, we will be back. So in the meantime, tell your friends, get them to listen mm-hmm. so we can all start book two together. Take a look at our YouTube channel, watch our Ang mail videos and continue to send us your thoughts. What are you excited about going into book two? But until then, If you are caught up on the episodes or you just need a little bit of a break and you want to hang out with me a little bit more, you can always do so over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg on Monday and Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is, of course, unless I'm not doing an indie showcase, in which case it might be a little later on that channel, but we will always post on the Twitter account when that happens, whether it's myself or Acorn doing one, so you can come and watch. Yes, that's on twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. And if during our break, you just want to go bug Greg and tell him about how unhappy Mm -hmm. you are that Fridays are now just Fridays, Mm -hmm. go for it. Yeah. Do it. I mean, Fridays for me are just stream time. So it could still be something (laughs) special for you too. There you go. True. And you can come say hi to me on Twitter at Acorn Bandit. And you can also check me out on joysons.com. And if you want to see the other projects I have going on and all the links to my stuff, you can go to joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com slash pages slash acorn. Yeah. And that is all for now until we see you next time for the recap of book one on Avatar, Avatar, the the podcast. podcast. Avatar the Podcast is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 